It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, that was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Yesterday afternoon at just about 3.30pm, the Brexit process was hurled into even more confusion when John Burko snatched the reins of power from the government and declared that from now on, he is very firmly in charge in a bold move that completely outfoxed and humiliated Theresa May. The Speaker has effectively blocked any further progress on leaving the European Union for possibly months on end. I'm no fan of the diminutive Mr Burko, but I have to say I admire his chutzpah, his cojones and his sheer cunning. He has outsmarted the powers that be and delivered in one fell swoop something the Tories could not manage. What happens now? We'll spend the next three hours trying to find out. What seems to be true, though, uh, is that basically nothing is going to happen now for quite some time. Certainly we will not be down in the tent of shame on College Green in Westminster for at least the rest of the week. Theresa May goes off to Brussels, of course, come up, coming up on Thursday, where she will presumably attempt to try and get some more concessions out of them. Good luck with that, Mrs May. 03444991000. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll also be finding out why the rules of the road are soon to change forever. It won't be just cars, vans, taxis, lorries and buses on our roads. You'll have to slalom around cyclists, tricycles, driverless drones and even electric scooters. Just how dangerous do they want it to get out there? 03444991000. Plus we'll be asking just why, despite a change in the law, it is still proving all but impossible for families to access medical marijuana. We're joined by campaigner Charlotte Caldwell coming up a little bit later on in this hour. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right now, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, the papers this morning are absolutely full uh, of the smiling, cherubic and rather mischievous face uh, of Mr John Burko. The uh, front page of the Daily Mail, the smirk that says Brexit be damned. Furious grandstanding speaker ambushes Prime Minister with bombshell ruling on her deal. I have to say, uh, it's the most fun I've had on a, on a Monday afternoon for quite some time. There we were all sitting, waiting around to see whether we might have to go down to Westminster today on the basis that the, the Prime Minister would have somehow managed to persuade enough people uh, to actually vote with her deal to decide to have another meaningful vote. MV3 as it was being called. Or would she put it off until Wednesday? Or would she put it off until next week after she's been to Brussels for a European summit? Fortunately uh, that whole boredom level was broken, thrown into the dustbin uh, of history and now we have entered a new era and it is the era of Emperor John Burko. As uh, Julie Hartley Brewer just said, he is very clearly and plainly running this thing now. He's very clearly and plainly the man in charge. Lots of people don't like it. I rather admire him. Let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. John, a very good morning to you. Hello there. Good morning, Mike. Now, just when we thought it couldn't get any more bizarre, um, suddenly John Burko pops up out of nowhere and pulls the rug from under the government and they never even saw it coming. (laughs) 
<laughs> I blame you, Mike. Actually, he probably. You said there's there's nothing much happening today. Yesterday, he that's was, true. You, said, you know, there's nothing much going on, and and John Burke obviously obviously overheard you, <laughs> and, and and thought, watch me. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, he's obviously so, been yeah. working at this for a while. I mean, you don't just come up with this kind of plan, do you? I mean, he's clearly been no, operating I mean, been... Uh, under the radar for quite some time on this. Well, people have been talking about it for for a while. Mm. I mean, since uh, since the last time. You know, last week MPs voted again on the deal, and there were a lot of people saying, "Then, you know, how come this is allowed? You know, right. this got rejected in January. Why, why are we, why are we voting on it again?" Right. And I, you know, I wrote learned articles for the Independent saying, um, "You know, the, the convention, the convention is flexible, and you know, John Burke is not going to stop the House trying to reach a decision." Um, well, not and, last week. Uh, he wasn't. How wrong that turned out to be. <laughs> well, I mean, interestingly enough, I suppose people are now suggesting that he's set a precedent by which anything else that's been voted on twice and defeated can't now be reintroduced either, which would kibosh presumably the second referendum debate and also uh, and also the Parliament taking charge of it a debate. Well, yes. I mean, people have pointed out that it's completely inconsistent because he's 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 allowed MPs to vote twice on things before, right. uh, and he's also said that uh, you know pr- you know if we only followed precedent, then nothing nothing would ever change. So, mm. I, I think I thought I thought his decision was completely wrong, but you know that's, that's that's my opinion. But I mean, it's sort of it doesn't actually matter because the point is the government wasn't going to bring the vote tonight anyway because they just don't have the votes. I mean, the the DUP's still not on board. And even if the DUP's on board, you've still got this extraordinary spectacle of, I'd say, up to 40 Tory MPs who say they're in favour of Brexit uh, but are prepared to to vote against the the deal even if they know that means we stay in the EU. Yeah. Um, you know, because they think that they think the deal the prime minister's done is so bad that they'd rather stay in the EU, and they think they're going to sort of achieve some kind of pure Nirvana Brexit in two years' time. I mean, this is this is where we've got to. And if if, if Tory Brexiteers want to blow up Brexit, that's it. Yeah, I mean, is this now entering into sort of what I would call Alex Salmon territory? And and don't uh, fall off your chair before I get to the next bit because it's not about that. <laughs> but the point is, is Alex Salmon when he was in Scotland uh, at the Scottish Parliament used to love the idea of baiting Westminster and say. Well, look, they won't give us the powers we want. They won't tell us what we can do and what we can't do. Uh, they just won't give us the money. And he much preferred it to that then than, than when they actually did give him the powers. When they gave him the powers, he couldn't yeah. complain anymore. And so yeah, I, wonder, exactly. I wonder whether these these Brexiteers would rather complain about not being able to get the Brexit they want forever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is completely the syndrome, yeah. I think. Yeah, we should call it Salmon Syndrome. Yes, I think um, that would work. They would, rather, they would rather be in the EU and pure and arguing for a sort of pure Brexit, which mm. is never going to happen, right. than actually take responsibility for the sort of messy compromises that, yeah. uh, that are required. Um, but, I mean, that's, that, that's, what, that's what they're up to. That's, so, in a way, you know, the, the Speaker's decision is neither here nor there. The, the, the Prime Minister just doesn't have the votes. No, but um, also, does it not prove just how powerless she has become? And one of the syndromes uh, and one of the possibilities that I've read about this morning and I don't know what your view is of this, is that she may now have to be removed because it's very clear that there will be no no-deal Brexit as long as she's around. Well, there's not going to be a no-deal Brexit as long as this parliament is around. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a huge majority against it in this in this parliament, and, and having a general election isn't going to change that significantly. I mean, I mean you might be able to sort of deselect, you know, half the Tory party, but it's still not going to... You're still not going to achieve achieve the objectives mm. you want if you're a sort of no deal Brexit person. Um, so you know she's incredibly weak, as you say. But the Conservative Party doesn't want to get rid of her. The mm. Conservative Party in Parliament, 
and they can't anyway under the under Tory party rules. So uh, we're we're just going to carry on in this sort of limbo-like state. Yeah. I mean, it'll be, it'll be like Belgium. I mean, Belgium didn't have a government for what was it, eighteen months or something. And, yeah. you know, well, Northern Ireland does quite well. Yeah, I mean, well, I did true. learn a new word yesterday, and you'll you'll probably be embarrassed on my behalf that I didn't know the word prorogue, um, but I'd never heard of it before <laughs> yesterday, and suddenly now it's one of those it's one of those words like peloton that everybody now knows. <laughs> it's a very silly word. <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, it's always whenever you have a general election, um, it always confuses things because because um, sometimes you uh, prorogue parliament for two days or mm. something before you dissolve it or right. some, something like that. Anyway, I've never understood it, and it's never made any sense. And <laughs> yes, is it. It's been mooted as a device for getting around the Speaker's ruling. But, I mean, actually, the thing is, if you want to get around the Speaker's ruling, uh, you can. I mean, you just need a majority in, in, in the House of Commons. Mm. I mean, because the, the House of Commons sets its own rules. The problem that Theresa May has is she doesn't have a majority for her deal. So yeah. she can she can ask the House of Commons if it wants to set aside the Speaker's ruling and hold a vote on her deal. But she's only going to be able to get that through if she's got the votes for her deal. And uh, at, at the moment, I think she's still a long, long way from that. But funnily enough, I mean, I was pleased to see that the Dutch, I think, Prime Minister did uh, describe Theresa May, as I did some weeks ago, uh, as the Black Knight from the Monty Python movie, saying, let's call it a draw after all the legs and arms have been cut off. But, I mean, surely she now really can... a bit of British cultural yes. imperialism. There. Yes, absolutely. I mean, a bit of a misappropriation, you might say. But I wonder, <laughs> uh, what happens if she goes to Brussels and says, well, look, we've still got um, the legal uh, wherewithal to leave on March the 29th with no deal... And that is still the legal position, isn't it? Yes, it is, uh, until uh, until she changes the law, which she's planning to do next week, right. I think. Um, she doesn't want to leave without a deal. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's become abundantly clear. Um, and she's not going to do that. Mm. She'll, she'll, well, I mean, it's difficult to say anything completely categorically these days, but, I mean... She she's going to ask uh, she's going to ask EU leaders for for an extension, probably a flexible extension, um, and then I, I think quite quoting the, uh, the, the the Brexit minister said yesterday that there would be the order would be brought to the House next week to change the date of Brexit in the legislation. So that that would that would finally change the law mm. uh, and make a no deal Brexit not uh, I mean would finally do that you know thing of taking it off the table, which is. And then that uh, finally is 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 the sort of the first act of honesty, perhaps that Theresa May has done. Well, I mean, it's the first act of of, of uh, heading towards cancelling Brexit. Yes, right. I mean, I, mean, I said, do, do think once you've postponed it, I, I think that is probably uh, that's probably it. I, don't, I think we'll probably never leave. Mm. Well, but you can't. Think, and we, you and I spoke about this last week in the tent. I mean, you've you've been saying that really ever since this whole process began, and you're being proved right again, John. It must get very boring for you. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, right? In the end, in the end, that won't be the end of it from the British public's point of view, because the British public are pretty worked up about this. Well, yes, are they? I mean, that's that's the question, and we will we will find out. I mean, I think yeah, I, I think a lot of people will be absolutely furious about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of people will just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, "Well, yeah, I told you it was, it was never going to happen. I told you they were going to sort of fix it," and it'll increase cynicism and uh, about politics. And I think I, I think it's a, it would be a very bad outcome, mm. uh, personally. Um, the even full though, weight you know, of, was, of all those people on the Leave Means Leave march might come down on Downing Street, and what will they do? Well, then? I mean, don't have to be too scared of them. But I mean, I do think <laughs> when we hold, hold these uh, European Parliament elections, as we as we are likely to do now. Um, I think uh, I, I think Nigel Farage's Brexit party could well uh, could well clean up. 
Um, and that, you know, that's going to make us very popular with our, our, our colleagues in, uh, in, in the continent. Yes. Well, this is the trouble, isn't it? We're now, I mean, are we now going to enter into, as of Thursday, when the Brussels uh, sort of summit goes on, are we going to enter into, as far as the European uh, politicians are concerned, sort of a new, a new era, if you like, of maybe we can just now talk about how you stay in? Well, yeah, absolutely, and and but it, it's going to be very uncomfortable because you know it's, it's sort of it's almost as if you know you've decided to get divorced and then you've changed your mind and you're still still living in the same house. Still hate and, you though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, can you imagine how how the British minister is going to be treated in uh, in European Council? Mm. It's just you know we are going to be for some time the pariah, the pariah of Europe, the people who tried to sort of. Try to leave and then and then and then change their minds. Yeah, I mean it's just not gonna it's not gonna be a fruitful relationship for many many years to come. Well, it's going to be another one of those room scenarios where there's a table over there for twenty seven, there's a table over there for one. Uh, you go sit <laughs> over there. <laughs> well, yeah, even if even if that's not physically what happens, that's that's going to be the sort of psychological territory. Yeah. We're going to be regarded as the sort of the, the embarrassing relatives mm. at the at these meetings. I mean, true. They've got they've got problems enough with with Hungary and and, and Poland, right. and even even the Italians are. I mean, some of some of those are a, a, a bit strange. But you know, I mean, I do think I do think it's going to be very very difficult for for Britain to be a sort of um, a half you know half member of the European Union, which is which is which is the way we're heading. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we love an analogy on this show, and, and as you do as well. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think of another one now. It's a bit like sort of hobbling yourself before the Grand National, isn't it? You're still kind of standing at the, uh, at the starting gate, but basically yeah. you can't run. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, it, I, I mean, I do think people haven't really thought through the consequences of, uh, of staying in the EU after all this, uh, all this fuss and bother. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, I mean, I can just see how for MPs, endless delay is sort of easier than than actually making a decision mm. i mean however however much i mean I, you know I, I, I go on about these tory brexiteers against brexit but i mean there's also there are in an entire labor um, contingent um you know they said that they wanted to respect the result of the referendum and yet they're not prepared to lift a finger to do it mm. i mean they're quite happy to to allow to allow brexit just to just to sort of slide away by default yeah it is extraordinary, really, that we are in this place where we are. I mean, what do you think is going on inside Downing Street today? I mean, what are they? Are they all pointing <laughs> fingers at each other, going, "How come we never saw this happening? This is coming at us." <laughs> now, well, to be fair, I think they did. They they thought it was a risk, but they they the timing of it was just a bit odd. Yeah. Because I mean, it's the sort of thing you'd expect uh, John Burko to have said immediately after the the vote last week. Mm. For example, I mean that would be a sensible time to say it, or he could have communicated privately with the government and said, "Look, I'm I'm not sure about this. I'm so I'm going to I'm thinking of making this announcement. Have you got any sort of comment yeah. to, to to make?" I mean, of course he didn't. He just he just well, some people are also crazy, accusing crazy. him of being very sort of opportunistic because if if he was going to be absolutely genuine, he probably should have said it before the second vote, so that uh, uh, as if we didn't know that some people were just playing political games. A lot of them are saying, "Well, well we might have we might have voted." in a different way if we knew this was this, this was the last chance. Well, exactly. I mean, if that, if if that is his view, he should have, he should have said it then. You're you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. But I mean, um, I just yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think it's an extraordinary thing for him to do, to have done. But I think I think number ten is now focusing on um, 
uh, on what Theresa May is going to be asking for in Brussels on yeah. Thursday. Right. Uh, but in the meantime, I think they are quite happy to just blame uh, John Burko for blocking Brexit. Um, because it suits you know, their it purpose, takes, doesn't it? Well, it sort of takes the spotlight off the fact that they, they didn't have the votes anyway. Right. I mean, if they'd held, held that vote, they would have lost it. And so does she go to Brussels now and start asking for the impossible so that it looks uh, looks like they can't move? No, I, would, I think she'll just say, um, can we have an extension? And it'll be a flexible extension, so it'll be quite a, quite a long period, but with an option, if she can get a deal through in the meantime, to cut it short so yeah. that she can, she can still say to Parliament, maybe next week... Um, you've got to vote for this, or um, or else we're, we're heading for a very yeah. long extension. And if you do vote for it, then we'll be we'll be out it we'll be out in weeks. Yeah, but um, her tactics up that, to now have been: you better vote for this, otherwise we might not have a Brexit at all. And that didn't work. Well, except there was also the, there was also the threat of a No Deal Brexit yeah. before, um, but that's now been taken off the table. So I think that does change the calculation. I mean, it does change the calculation. People like um, Esther McVeigh. She says, right, we're not, we can't have a no-deal Brexit, therefore you know, I'm just going to have to hold my nose and vote for the Prime Minister's deal because that's, that at least gets us out of the EU. Yeah. But the problem, the problem for the Prime Minister is there aren't enough of, uh, there aren't enough of Esther McVeigh. Right. Um, you know, and I think you said still... over the weekend that she, that she needed about 25 Labour MPs as well, right? Well, you need however many Tories there are who are going to vote against it. You need, you need the same number of Labour MPs. To counteract them, because it's sort of the, the arithmetic just happens to sort of balance out roughly. Right. So um, you know, you know, I, I mean, there were 23 Tories who wrote a letter to the Telegraph yesterday saying they were going to vote against the Prime Minister's deal, what, whatever, mm. um, led by Owen Paterson, the former cabinet minister. Yeah. So if 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 that, I mean, and that didn't even include Steve Baker and Boris Johnson and, and several other really hardline, uh, anti, uh, you know, sort of, uh, sort of hard Brexit people. Um, so, so she needs at least twenty-four Labour MPs, and so far she's got five. Right. So, I mean, on we go, limping to the next hurdle, um, which we'll presumably just have to collapse in front of and go to sleep for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Oh goodness me! Incredible stuff, John. Thank you very much indeed, John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at the Independent. Oh no, not me. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Les says, your guest, pure Brexit. Tory Brexiteers against Brexit. What a load of guff. May's deal is humiliating surrender. We can leave the EU from an extension. We can even leave the EU from an Article 50 revocation situation. But we can never leave as a United Kingdom uh, with May's withdrawal agreement. And Steve says, I still can't believe these MPs. Oh, hang on. Hang on. There's an alarm. Some kind of alarm. I'm being told this is an alarm to tell us that we're about to begin a countdown uh, for when we get to leave. No, no, sorry. It's a countdown for when we don't get to leave. So it's a countdown for when nothing actually happens. Let's have a listen to the countdown. So this is a countdown to when Brexit won't happen. So we'll just keep checking in with the countdown to when Brexit won't happen. Uh, and we'll keep you updated as to when it gets closer to when Brexit won't happen or further away. 
So when Brexit won't happen. What a shambles. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. That's what I go to school This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock after the news with Kevin O'Sullivan, of course. Uh, we are here until then. Uh, and right now, I'm delighted to say uh, we're going to welcome the Education Secretary, Damien Hines, uh, who's taken a bit of a breather from all of the shenanigans going on uh, in Parliament, where John Burke appears to have taken control of the country. Damien, a very good uh, afternoon <laughs> to you. Welcome. It's nice to be with you, Mike. <laughs> Very good news as well from the education point of view, because you're here to tell us about some new qualifications that you're going to be making available for, for 16 and older kids as of next yeah. year. Yeah, so we are, we've embarked on a major upgrade of our technical and vocational qualifications. You know, we've, got, we've had a bit of a deficit in this country for quite some time relative to countries like Germany, and I don't see any reason why we should have a mm. deficit relative to Germany. So we're upgrading our technical and vocational qualifications, particularly with the introduction of T-levels coming in in a, you know, a year or two's time, and then higher-level qualifications as well. What we're talking about today is about really looking at what's in the market now in terms of qualification. There's quite a sometimes bewildering array of different qualifications mm. that kids can do at age 16 and 18. And we need to make sure that that is a manageable number that's understandable to employers for a start, but also understandable to young people, you know, looking at what they're going to do, and indeed right. to their mums and dads as well. And is this a recognition that the kind of the university-based education that we thought everybody should have is perhaps not for everybody because you know clearly there are problems now for people a lot of people going to university who who might if they were given a choice in something else might have taken that choice you know because they're they're coming out of university with a qualification which is maybe not that much use and they've got a lot of debt well it is right that for you know university isn't right for everybody clearly and of course of course many people don't go to university today and we want to make sure that everybody is doing a high-quality qualification that leads them onto something, either onto further study or onto, you know, onto a good job. Mm. And as I say, the, the, the array of what's out there at the moment is, is really, really broad, and that, yeah, there are some advantages to it, but also it's very difficult for some to, you know, to understand the full range of what there is. Uh, so, so we want to make sure it's more manageable that for, you know, for most people, uh, age 18, doing either A-levels or T-levels is going to be the right thing. But there'll also be qualifications, uh, other qualifications as well. And we want to make sure that we get that list of the other qualifications right and without having overlap or confusion relative to A-levels and T-levels. Because we hear a lot on this, on this show in particular, a lot of people call in, we talk about a great many things, shortages of doctors, possibly shortages of yeah. nurses, shortages of apprenticeships for people. I mean, will this address some of that? Yeah, it will help to address it. I mean, I could give you others to add to that list as well. I mean, actually, we've just had fantastic employment numbers out this morning. Yeah. I'm sure you've been reporting those, on, them yeah. on your programme. You know, down below... 4% unemployment is a, is a great place to be. But that does also mean that if you're hiring people, it can be difficult to find the people to find the roles, and particularly in, uh, particularly in, in these skilled occupations. So what we're doing with T-levels specifically is working with industry, with businesses themselves, to design what should be in those qualifications, like we do as well with apprenticeships, 
to make sure that you know when a person comes forward with that qualification, they can have total confidence in it that yes, this is what is needed to work in that industry, and the employer can have total confidence in the young person as well. Right. And so at the moment, in terms of the way that the schools are structured, I mean, this will be the last year uh, of A levels, if you like, and it will start. I think I think in 2020. I understand uh, with with this new rollout. So T-levels coming in from 2020, it's quite a gradual rollout. We're doing it at, at a good pace. So it will start in a relatively small number of colleges, relatively small number of subjects, and then gradually over the years that will, that will build up. And then what we're talking about today in terms of rationalising and making sure that the list of qualifications that's available is, you know, is manageable, that will happen sort of in parallel about sort of 2023, because, I mean, there's quite a long lead time on doing these things. You know, colleges have to know what's coming down the mm. track. Employers have to know what's coming down the track. The people who set the exams do as well. So we're doing this in consultation. It's a two-stage consultation as well. Right now it's a broader thing, and then we'll do a second one later on talking about the detail of what, of what we're going to be proposing. And I've got a couple of kids in secondary school, so I'm, just, yeah. I'm not just like any old you know, barren radio host who bangs on about what's wrong with the government and what's wrong with the country. I actually lived through it. Um, you know, we hear a lot that there's a shortage of teachers as well. I mean, how, yeah. how are you going to cope with, with, with teaching new subjects effectively and, and new qualifications? You're going to have to hire new teachers, aren't you? Yeah, so, I mean, you're right. It's a very competitive uh, employment market. The graduate uh, recruitment market is particularly competitive. We've got 450,000 teachers right now. Uh, that's 10,000 more than it was in 2010, but there's also been more kids coming through. So, yes, we do need to recruit more teachers, and that's true for schools and true for colleges. Mm. We are putting in place more um, uh, you know, training uh, for, for for teachers in colleges, for example, as T levels come on stream, and that's you know that that's inevitable. Of course, you of course you do need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, my kids all complain they get too much homework as well. Can you do anything about that? So homework is very good for the soul. So it's, uh, it's very good for. Yeah, of course they complain about homework. I complained about homework when I was at school, and so did you, Mike. Of course. Uh, but you know, homework in, in a manageable amount is great for consolidating learning. It's a different type of learning. You know, more independent from being in class, and actually, it's a really important part of the overall picture. Great stuff. And listen, Damien, I appreciate you taking the time. I can't let you go without asking you about what on earth is going on, though, because everything seems to have been hurled into reverse by, by Captain Burko uh, on the clattering train. So what happens next? And what are you going to do? And what's Theresa May going to do? So, Mike, look, I mean, we are in testing times. There's no doubt about that. Um, we need to make sure we get a good negotiated exit deal. That's been my position all the way, all the way through. You're right, what happened yesterday does create some extra uh, some extra questions about how we are going to do that, but we still need to do it, and there'll be no doubt discussion over the days to come about parliamentary procedure and exactly what's the right way forward. If you're a betting man, are we still in Europe, uh, or in the EU, I should say, come Christmas? On the subject of Europe, Mike, don't go near Ladbrokes. It's a very dangerous, it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, we, look, we're going to leave the European Union. That was absolutely our commitment to the British people we also need to make sure we're doing away with I mean we're here we are we're talking about skills and you know building up people's careers we need to make sure the future of our economy and that is tied up with this deal that we get we need to make sure that's good for people's jobs and livelihoods absolutely right I reckon the T levels will be in before we're out of the EU what do you say we're leaving the, we're leaving the European Union that's that is the commitment we made to the British people it's what they demand of us quite rightly we had a referendum we had a we had a result 
It's up to us in Parliament to get on with it and make it happen. OK, Damien, thank you very much indeed. Damien Hines, Education Secretary there, uh, being very diplomatic in his answers about when we leave the European Union, but still sure that we are going to, because there are some people out there, uh, including John Burko, uh, who would like it not to happen, and who are doing their level best to stop it from happening, uh, as indeed you have all worked out. 0344 499 1000 is the number. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Adam says, I got an extravagant water bill. I phoned him up and the bloke asked me, seriously, do you have a swimming pool? <laughs> I live on the second floor of a four-level building. Oh, hello. Hello. There's going to be another announcement coming. Now, this is the new uh, foghorn sound that we hear when there's news on Brexit, OK? So there must be something happening in the world of Brexit. Let's check in uh, with the countdown to when Brexit isn't going to happen and see what's happening. Apparently it's 10 days, 11 hours and 10 minutes left uh, to when Brexit doesn't happen. I'm not sure about this, to be honest. Anyway, listen, let's talk about uh, maturity, because now is a good time as any, I think, to talk about why it is that people in their 20s might seem immature. Well, guess what? It's because they are. Their brains don't actually mature until they are 30. So if you're wandering around working with a load of millennials and thinking, why is it that they seem so immature? Now you know that Cambridge University approved it. Let's talk to Rachel Hosey, Senior Lifestyle Reporter at Insider, who I'm fairly sure is about as mature as you can be at her age. Rachel, a very good uh, afternoon. Well, a very good morning to you, I should say. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Now, I'm quite surprised by this scientific research because I normally uh, just use um, sort of ridiculous insults to bait people in their 20s and make out that they're <laughs> not as clever as they think they are, which, of course, is a nonsense uh, because you probably think I'm an old fogey that should be uh, seen and not heard. But the bottom line is, it now turns out, neurologically, uh, scientists are saying that actually the brain does not fully mature until you're 30. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. Um and it, I think it makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, but then I don't know if there can be such a clear cut-off point because, obviously, I'm no scientist. I don't know the details. Mm. But we're obviously maturing throughout our whole lives. You know, I sometimes say to older people, like, oh, I still don't feel like a grown-up. When will I feel like a yeah. grown-up? And they say, oh, I still don't feel like a grown-up and I'm in my 50s or whatever sure. it might be. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the point, I think, of this Cambridge University research is that they're saying that, you know, it makes sense legally to say you're a grow- you're an adult when you're 18 because then mm. you can you can vote, you can drink, you can smoke, you can do all the things that you can do. I think it's 21 now, isn't it, for smoking? Um, but, you know, legally speaking, that's all very well. But they're, they're talking about, in reality, it's more mm. of a journey. So you don't, and you're quite right, Not you don't suddenly hit 30 and become, you know, an, an adult, but they're saying that it takes a period of time and it's not really until your 20s are over that, that neurologically your mental health is different, you're able to be a more mature individual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, your 20s are such a crucial decade for finding out, working out who you are, what's important to you, what your priorities are. And I'm not saying that by the time you're 30, you suddenly know everything about yourself and you're not going to evolve anymore. But 
I would imagine that it's in your 20s when it's kind of like actually, say you've been in education until you're 20, 21, 22, yeah. and then it's when you actually get to start forging your own path, trying to build a career, you know, doing the things that are really important to you that you find out who you are as a person. And I think the, the point is as well, I would say socially, um, and I'm not, I'm not being funny here, but I mean, I think it's partly the, the fault of the parents and partly the fault of the kids as well. But basically, you are more dependent, I think, as a generation on your parents than I ever was uh, dependent on mine, partly because my parents didn't have very much. Whereas nowadays, you've got many more sort of well-off parents who have got mm. middle class kids growing up probably being at a university for a bit longer than they were, mm. probably not going into the workforce, probably not leaving home. You know, I mean, there's an awful lot of 25-year-olds now who are not actually out there on their own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the economic climate ha- does mean that for us as a generation, we, our 20s, are a very different experience to, you know, perhaps what our parents lived through. So that probably does contribute to us growing up a bit more slowly, like becoming independent but financially and in other ways a bit later than older generations. But actually, I'm not sure that's a bad thing because, well, for starters, people are living longer, so what's the rush? And secondly, people always say, don't grow up too fast, enjoy your youth. Plus, we live in a society that actually values youth and places so much emphasis on youth. And so if we're kind of prolonging our period of being young, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it is either. In fact, I, I go along totally with you. In fact, here's my, my new manifesto for you, is that we can move <laughs> everything up by, say, three years. So the age of consent could go from 16 to 19. The age of voting uh, could go from 18 to 21. The age of smoking could go from 21 to 24. Do you see where I'm going here? The age from, the, from which you can drive, you know, because people aren't really ready to drive when they're teenagers. It'd be better for them to be a bit more considered when they're a bit older. And then you can just you can be children for longer. I think you might experience some backlash to some of those, though, Mike. You can give it a try, but I'm not sure people would be happy with all those ideas. But no, I know, but you're quite right. I mean, everybody wants to grow up quickly. You know, you'll want to, you know, mm. when, you're, when you're 15, you want to be 25, you know, and then as of soon course. as you get to 35, you want to be 25 again. So it's that kind of very concertina area of about 15 yeah. years that, that yeah. you rush through and then you wish you were going back to. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, why can't we all just appreciate what we have at the moment? But, you know, I I remember when I was a teenager and I was just thinking about what it would be like when I was in my mid-twenties. You know, my life isn't isn't really exactly what I thought it would be like. Mm. But that's not to say I don't live a very nice life. Um, But it's just kind of, you know, the image we were sold of what it means to be in your mid sort to late 20s or whatever it might be hasn't quite materialized for a lot of people around my age yeah but and you, you know, and i've talked about this power. before you and i've talked about this before and, and you seem to have mellowed a lot to be honest rachel because i remember the last time <laughs> you and i talked about it you were quite worked up about the fact that we'd somehow betrayed you all i mean <laughs> well, we we <laughs> we as generations have very different experiences and i do think there are a lot of things that you know it's not it's not like the the hand we've been dealt is the fault of you know our parents right. our parents generation tell that to those is... climate change ninnies that go walking around the streets chanting horrible things about Theresa May apparently it's all our fault well you know everything's someone's fault these days but we i think it's it's just kind of it's worth 
older generations like noticing and accepting and appreciating that young people today do have some things a lot harder than they did. Not everything, you know, and when, I'm not saying, oh, woe is us, poor us, everyone pity the millennials, but there are a lot of things that are a lot harder. So it is actually quite nice that this study suggests that, okay, maybe, you know, give younger people a bit more time, give them a bit more space, like let them off if they make errors because our brains are still maturing. I think that's partly the thing, you know, make as many errors as you like because that's what I think in the end makes you who you are. You know, getting everything handed to you on a plate would not be any good for you because you would just be exactly. spoiled, rotten, and, and expect everything to be handed to you on a plate, which, of course, you don't do. No, absolutely. People make mistakes their whole lives. And, you know, when you're young, you probably make more, but you learn from them, and that's how you become who you are. Yes, I think you're absolutely right, Rachel. I'm so happy to see that you're becoming more mature since the last time we spoke. It's great. Yeah, this is me getting old. <laughs> Listen, it's lots. Of, your life is all ahead of you. Don't worry. Trust me. Rachel Hosey, senior lifestyle reporter at Insider. You see, I've already had a great impact on Rachel. She's already talking more like an adult than she did the first time we spoke, which was probably about a year ago, uh, where she was a lot more feisty and a lot more kind of, uh, uh, shall we say, intense. Now she sounds much more sensible. So the news is that if your 20-something millennial son or daughter appears to be immature and you wonder if they'll ever grow up, the chances are that they are probably not quite ready and they will grow up eventually closer to the time when they get to 30. It's scientific evidence, ladies and gentlemen. It's absolutely true. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You're listening to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio in association with The Times. It's politics tamed. We'll take some of your calls on that coming up. 0344 499 1000, of course, is the number. What is going on uh, with all these people in the water business? They're all getting very wealthy, and we seem to be footing the bill for an awful lot of it. Uh, And when we're being told not to use as much water uh, as we are using, I always smell a bit of a rat, I'm afraid. So I'd like to take your calls on that as well. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Adrian, uh, who's in Leicester. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, sir. What do you want to say? Brilliant show. Thank but, you. Um, you pronounce Byra. It's, it's pronounced Byra. Byra. What did I say? Yeah. Um, right. You know, the biggest problem I think we've had in, in that part of the world is we've had the Chinese over. Right. And they have been decimating and logging is one of the biggest problems that we're having in Africa. Yes. Well, they've taken so, the whole, uh, whole continent's uh, minerals, basically, haven't they? Absolutely. Uh, they've moved into South Africa. They've moved into Zimbabwe. They're just raping, pillaging the, the um, resources mm. like you won't believe. Right. But no one is actually talking about this, and I, I, I don't know why. Yes, I mean, I've brought it up once or twice because I know that they're also, I mean, they, what they do, the Chinese, is they, they, they go into a country and they offer to build infrastructure, which they have been doing, I believe, as well, building roads, building railways, but at the same time, right. just basically taking everything that's there. Yes. Now, they're putting money into, into a country that has no money. Yeah. So when they can't pay, they say, oh, okay, then what we'll do is we'll go and take that mine from you then, yeah? Yeah, right. And then they have to hand the mine over. Mm. Well, I heard another See, story the other day, Adrian. I don't know if you heard me telling it, uh, but the story goes that they went to some South Pacific island. I don't know which one it was because I haven't got all the details, but they basically offered to build 
um, a sort of a massive jetty so that cruise ships could stop there because the, the money that they could then garner for the island's sort of wealth would be great. And then, of course, what happened was um, after a while, they weren't able to support the cruise ships stopping there because they didn't have enough resources to deal with it all. Uh, and so now the, uh, the the jetty and the, and the sort of the, the boating areas are all empty. And now they're being occupied by Chinese military. Yes, exactly. Mm. They're, they're, they're very clever people, I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, can fool, they can fool people in a big way. But you see, the biggest thing is deforestation. Yeah. And I think, yeah, in Britain as well, we have the same problem. You go into cities that used to have a lot of trees, mm. you'll find that their air was quite clean. Yeah. But now that the council cannot be bothered to look after the trees, oh, bugger it, we'll just cut them down, yeah? Mm. Yeah. No, yeah, and absolutely. What I realise is that Trees are the lungs of our earth. Mm. Also, and you can't tarmac over down, you, you can't tarmac over loads and loads of grass areas either, and expect there not no. to be flooding. Exactly. This is the whole problem we're having. Anyway, Mike, that's all I wanted to say. Okay. I mean, well, I appreciate it, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for calling. We'll talk to you again. Let's talk to Ken. He's in Luton. Hi, Ken. Morning, Mike. Morning. I'm getting rather tired of presenters letting these remainers get away with murder. Oh, really? I hope you're not referring to me, Ken. Well, let's put it like this, Mike. When have you asked a, a remainer hmm. to prove the facts of what they're talking about? All the time I do that. That's what I'm known Where for, Ken. Where they get their facts? I'm, I'm, right known, I'm known for quizzing them. Why do you think so many of them won't come on and talk to me? Well, that's right, Mike. You must be the only one, mate. That's me. What, that's I'm my M.O. Sky and blooming BBC. Well, what are you watching all that rubbish for? You should be listening to talk radio, Ken. I do. I was 12 hours a day, Mike. Excellent, top man. But, you see, when you talk about all these people coming out with facts Mm. and figures and all that, they can't prove it. No. It's an opinion. No, of course it is. All these projections and predictions that they make are all not worth the paper they're not written on. Well, you talk about that, Mike. I'm just watching the spring statement in the select committee oh, yeah. it's run for the office office of budget responsibility mm. who's it run by mr charlie bean charlie Don't who who mr charlie bean okay hey, you couldn't make that up could you you really couldn't he's a bean counter i suppose he keeps coming out with all these statistics like old osborne he was supposed to have an emergency budget yeah. after the vote no we didn't get that they was towing it down Downing Street. They couldn't get out of there quick enough. No, I know. I know. And what a mess he's making of his new job as well. Oh, bloody hell. I mean, don't worry about it. Listen, Ken, listen, I've got to go. Thank you very much. Ken, uh, very much uh, appreciate your call. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.